So the reigning world champion on the backstretch for the final time, trying to hold off the teenage phenom, the 19-year-old Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Jakob is young, but you can't tell him that. He is willing to take on anyone. Could he pull off the victory here in Monaco? And look at the gear that Jake Whiteman has found as he's moved into third. The fifth place finisher last year in Doha is looking to close with these guys so that he can mark himself as a medal contender. Off the final turn, into the final stretch. We are here with Scottish middle distance runner Jake Whiteman. Jake made the running world take notice in 2020 when he clocked a 3.29.47 at the Monaco Diamond League at 1500 metres. The time moved him to number two on the British all-time list, ahead of names such as Steve Ovette, Seb Coe and Steve Cram. With a 144-800 metre PB to his name, he owns a lethal kick and is in a rare group of 1500 metre runners who could potentially challenge for a podium finish at the Tokyo Games. Alright, we're here with Jake Whiteman. Mate, what's happening? Where are you at the moment? I'm up in Flagstaff, Arizona at 7,000 feet and we've literally just been here two days. So it's probably the equivalent of, I don't know, like, is it 3am back in the UK? I'm starting to feel a bit tired, but yeah, start of a month's camp, which hopefully will set us up for track season. Gotcha. So obviously you had your trials right in June. Uh, so obviously it's uh, April. So you're just doing massive base work? Yeah, like, I, I think because I'm lucky that I don't need to go out and run a standard I can come and literally just be running well by June. So I won't race until I get back like mid-May. So we'll do a little bit of base stuff and then one track session a week just to start getting into that sort of stuff. But hopefully it's going to be a long season ahead, right, if everything goes how I, how I hope it can. Who are you up there with? You know, do you have like an entourage you travel around with sort of thing, like girlfriend, you know, your parents, <laughs> yeah, this, manager? What? Go. Yeah, house is funny this year. So my girlfriend, um, she runs island so she's out here for the first time and it's our first camp together and whether it might be our only camp together but and we fall out here we'll we'll see by the end of it and then my dad's my coach so he's here her mum is her coach her mum's here so that alone is like weird in the first place and then um a british junior athlete called tom Keane is out here training with me as well so that's like in this house but there's so many brits out at the moment so like andy butchart's here charlie grice um, there's a lot of athletes and Americans around as well, so it's a cool place to be. Like, you're not in all one house, though, right? Like, it's all spread out in different, like, units or...? Yeah, yeah, but there's, like, an estate here where most people are, but it's kind of... I, I, I love the social side of being on camp, so, like, we have to meet up with people away from it. Um, well, like, I, I love being able to see people for runs, like, being here and being able to literally pop over the road to someone else's house is, like so easy so that's probably the best thing about being away because we haven't seen people for so long so it's class catching up with them now mate how does it work money wise like you're obviously under contract with new balance um you know and they pay you pay your salary and all that sort of stuff but in terms of this trip to flag stuff do they help you out do they pay the flights and pay the accommodation and then or is that coming out of your salary yeah so the way it's always worked for me is i've been lucky that i've been on british athletics funding since uh 2014 that normally runs an endurance camp every year, which will cover pretty much uh, accommodation flights um, and potentially like a rental car. But with COVID, they've stopped running these camps. So instead, they've given money to funded athletes to be able to put it towards going away. Um, Flagstaff's an expensive place, so the amount they give us just about covers it. And then I'm lucky that with my New Balance contract, I have every year a travel budget that I can lodge against. So any excess costs, I'll go through that. And then to get my dad out here, if he can't get his through British Athletics either, 
I'll use my New Balance travel budget to bring it. Or in some cases, when we're at a camp which isn't um, eligible to be funded through British Athletics, I'm lucky that my New Balance stuff will cover it. So I'd, I'd be willing, like there's plenty of times where I have paid my own money to come out because it's, like, it's an investment in ourselves, isn't it? Because you're hoping that you're spending this money to be able to run well and then earn more money. Um, but it definitely helps when we don't have to worry about the financial cost of coming somewhere that's as expensive as this. Right, you said your dad's coming with you. So you, is it, he's not your coach, right? You have a different coach, you're just a... No, yeah. no, just a one. Yeah, red. So how does that work, man? Like, obviously, there's been a lot of famous son, you know, father-coach relationships over the years. Obviously, it's working for you guys bloody good. Yeah, I know nothing else. It's been since I was, like, 15, so I don't know what it's like not to. Um, it's cool, like, the older you get, the less you need a dad and the more it's just, like, a coach. Um, it's definitely sometimes, like... When we come here, I'll spend more time than I have since I was like a kid together. Um, so that can test me sometimes because it's like moving back in home for a month, right? Um, but we're pretty cool. Like I'm old enough now to know what I'm doing. So I, I hope that I've got a little bit more say in decisions that get made. But it's like I've had the same coach since I was 14, 15. And regardless of that being my dad, that's like massive to have someone plan your progress like every single year through that, um, which has been like over 10 years now. So yeah, it, it, it works well. Like, Obviously, I can't say that anything's bad about it because it's gone pretty good for me so far. So when you're flat and, you know, you're a bit heavy from training too hard, can he can he tell before you've even started your warm-up? He, he knows, like, um, weird little ticks that I'll do when I'm running, um, when I'm feeling tired that I'm not even aware I'm doing, um, stuff like that, where it's like, I think the best thing about it is he knows how to, like, push me and stuff. And it's also, like, in a session... Um, to get the best out of myself to know when I'm I'm like hurting or when I've got a little bit more. Um, so there's so many little signs that I won't be able to notice myself that he's probably good at reading, which means I can get the best out of myself, including like, yeah, when you're tired, when you're run down, stop you getting injured and ill. So it's good. Like it's, There's a lot of coaches that don't have to be your dad to be able to get that, but it's having a relationship where you've been with them for a long time and you kind of learn each other and how you work. I'd say that's the most important thing for sure. All right, moving on to Monaco. Uh, obviously, last year in August, it became the second fastest period of all time, over 1,500 clock in uh, 3.29.47. Um, what is it about Monaco, mate? It seems every second elite has their PB in either Rieti or Monaco. Uh, 395 metre track is probably the answer. <laughs> but no, uh, uh, I think it's it's honestly like a perfect storm, right? It's the track, the track got relayed last year as well, and everyone's like, well, the relay in Monaco was rapid before, like surely it's not going to be slower. And like, it was quicker. It felt better. Um, the fields are perfect. The pacemaking is usually pretty spot on that like, everybody wants to do it and commit to a fast race. So like you've got the perfect scenario to be able to run quick. Um, for me last year, that was the thing. There was no chance to like knock your confidence from it. If I'd have gone to Monaco and blown up and run something awful, you'd go into the trials and the champs probably a little bit knocked from that. Whereas like, it didn't matter last year. That was like my one big thing of the year. So nothing to lose. You may as well just jump on the train and try and ride it to see what you can get. Yeah, that first lap was nuts. nuts. I mean, Chariot went through in about 52 to 53. And then, you know, obviously that was a bit quick for you. But for you guys, yeah. there's a bit of a gap. The pacing, I mean, you guys just kind of sat in behind the Ingebrigtsen brothers. And it was just like this train set up for you. It was just perfect. Yeah, that's the funny thing. It's like it shows how good Chariot is that. If I went through in 52, I'd be swimming by lap three. I'd have dropped a 60 in there somewhere. Um, but for him to still win the race around a 3.28 off the back of that. But the, the pacemaking I had from Jakob 
uh, was pretty perfect. And I went at the end of the race, as we were coming out towards the, um, the exit for the track to go and get our stuff, Gert, his dad came up to me and he's like, said, well done. He was like, oh, you got a good ride there, didn't you? And I was like, yeah, like I, like, <laughs> I did. Like I owed him probably a cut of like any prize money I earned because I literally had metronomic pacemaker in him. So I think he probably um, could have run a bit quicker than 328 if the paces at the front had gone how they should have. Right. I mean, with um with 150 metres to go, I mean, I watched the race and I've watched a bunch of replays. Uh, but, I mean, you had this little kick. It took you past Philippe. And uh, it looked like you wanted to, you know, you, it was it was very explosive little kick you had there. It looked like you were going to take the lead and then you kind of held back. And 328, yeah. I mean, obviously. obviously yeah, that's my, that's my, like, you can't be a little brat about it, can you? And be like, oh, like, I'm not happy with how I run when I've run 329. But I regret not going past to try and win the race at that point. Um, I just felt as though if I'd have gone, if I'd have tried to go past those two, I might have died hard in that home straight. But a part of me had wished that I'd have run 3.30 maybe or 3.31 and committed to trying to win that because I didn't. I would have had a chance of running 3.28 and like a British record if I'd have done it. Um, so that's something that if I had the opportunity again, I'd do it um, because I did feel so good. And then as soon as you check back in, you don't get that second chance again. You kind of like, that's your one, like, you want like a DRS zone or something, like your one little supercharge that you have to try and um, win the race. And I didn't commit to it completely. So, yeah, I, I regret that a little bit. But a three year, like I say, like 329, I can't, I can't be a knob about it. I have to be happy with how I ran. So what happened post-race? Did you go out for a few beers, uh, you know, in Monaco post-race? Yeah, the, the funny thing with it was, it's like, I, I never drink in season. So, uh, especially race season, I'll, I'll wait until the end of the year and have three weeks off and then I try and go as, as much as I can there just to get it all out. But I was like, I, I thought after, like, I've got races left, my season to go, but there's nothing really to like wait for. And I was saying, imagine if someone asked, like, oh, like, you've gone under 3.30, like, how do you celebrate? So I went, went ate the hotel food and went to bed at like 11, lay there for five hours awake because I was like so much adrenaline and got the plane in the morning. So we went to this, uh, went to this little bar that just a few of us that was quiet, had a couple of drinks and we went up to the, we wanted to go to the big, um, the big like casino, the Monte Carlo one. Uh, like not that I would have been able to afford to spend much or like would have spent much because I'm a bit of a pussy with it. But we, uh, we went there, it was like me, Master Lewandowski, uh, Matt Hughes and Zach Seddon I think um, spent like a little bit of money then went back to the hotel felt horrific the next day and I don't know whether it's a combination of that and just the, the massive high that Monaco was both mentally and physically I was so like low training likewise the next couple of weeks I was awful like if you'd if you'd seen me run sessions that next week you'd have thought I'd have broken 345 not 330 because I was just terrible um, but like that's just the way it is. Any other year, I wouldn't have done that and I'd have probably been able to keep the momentum, but it was just like a big, big, like mental and physical taxing thing for me. My body went to a place I hadn't done. <clears throat> and the um, the time moved you past Steve Cram, Steve Ovet, Seb Coe. I mean, these guys were household names back in the 80s, obviously. Times have changed, yeah. I know, but did you get much press in, in the UK, in Scotland? Yeah, like, do you know what the coolest thing was? Not Not the press stuff, but as soon as I finished, I had, because I know Steve uh, Cram a little bit because his son went to my school and I'd been away on camps with him. And one of the first people to message was him from the commentary box. 
um, like buzzing for me. And I was like, ah, like if someone goes past you and it's like in an era like now where you've got excuses, you could say like, we've got a little bit of help from certain things like the, the shoes and the state of the track, would he be like a bit bitter about it? But he was genuinely like, oh, I'm like, of all the people who have done it, like, I'm well happy it was you, which that's nice, isn't it? For guys to be saying that. And then Steve Ovet emailed. Um, so it was like, if you've got the attention of those guys, then that's pretty special. Like the press are always going to pick up on it a little bit, especially when it's a year, there's not much sport. Um, but the main thing is, it's like, it's a time, isn't it? Like you getting compared to those guys, but they've picked up their world records when they're running it and they picked up goals at Worlds and Olympics. But I haven't done that yet. So I, I don't stand anywhere near the sort of like stat today I've in the sport or in the UK. Yeah, what, I mean, what's English, um, British middle distance running is so good right now, right? The 800, you've got so many good 800 runners, so many good 1500 runners. I'm presuming yeah. that, you know, most of the world, a 144, you're going to be running an 800 runner, right? But, but I'm, I'm presuming that it's 1500 meters for you. I mean, that making the 800 teams tough, even the 1500 teams tough. But yeah. Is that, um, you've obviously got the time, but there's still trials in June, right? How does that work? Yeah, so, um, I'd I'd love to one day be able to double at both eight and fifteen, and it looked at one point like fifteen was going to be the super hard one. So, if I was able to run quick enough over eight, could I get a spot in the eight hundred, um, and then have to run the trial for the fifteen? But now it's like flipped, and the eight is probably almost as hard. But yeah, we've got at the moment three of us with a standard for Tokyo, and then the way it goes, I think it's similar to you guys, where if you're top two at the trial, you're automatic and you've got a time. Um, you'll go <clears throat> and then the third spot is discretionary but you have to have a standard so ideally it would be like if the first three at the trial have the time it'll probably be those three um, so it's like I reckon by the time it comes around to the trials it could be five maybe six people with a standard um, because it's just getting like so good in Britain now that people are running it way way easier like in Rio I didn't go because I couldn't run a standard and only two people went and that was 3.36, whereas now you've got to be running under 3.34 probably to end up being considered for a British team because it's just moved on so much. I guess the same with like Australian distance running, something like that. Like the 15 has just gone mad where there's now too many people to automatically go even if you run a standard, which is only a good thing because it means you'll end up running better when it comes to the big champs because you're a bit better bred for that sort of competition on your own home soil. All right, sweet. Hey, leading on from that, the um, I have to ask you about your indoor 1500 in New York a few months back uh, where um, Ollie, you kind of let out hard and set the pace and Ollie Hall kicked past you um, over the last kind of 200 metres. Ollie clocked 332.35 that day. This, it's kicked up a bit of a storm in Australia in the sense that Ollie can't make it back for our selection trials. He would have to do two weeks quarantine um, due to COVID, obviously. He's obviously run under the standard, the Olympic standard, but... Um, you know, a lot of some people arguing the 332 indoors is really equivalent to 331 or 330. Others are arguing that yeah, the new yeah. indoor tracks are quicker and it shouldn't even be included. You know, you were in the race. You know, you got yeah. beat by him. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the performance? Was it was it a legit 332? Could, does Ollie have quicker than 332 in him? What are your thoughts? Well, I was smoked in the last lap. That's the main thoughts. Is like, I I was running exactly the same laps as him up until then. And I had nothing in the last lap. I died hard, whereas he he had a negative split. So his his last lap was his quickest one. Um, so he could, I, I believe he could definitely go quicker. Like, I didn't think, until I saw Yaka run a 3.31, I thought running under 3.34, 3.35 for 1,500 was like, 
like almost like unbelievable, like outrageous. Um, but yeah, like it shows that in the in the UK, like we don't really get, especially me who didn't go to an NCAA uh, school or college in the US, you don't really pay much attention to what's happening there. So I didn't know that much about him. And it was before the race, uh, I'd always planned to try and go for a British record, which was 3.34. And uh, I was speaking to Engels and he was like, oh, so you're going to go out with the pacemaker? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you know that like Ollie will just sit on you and uh, try and go with it. Because apparently like I hadn't seen him race, but he said he'll always like commit to it. And I was like, okay. And then the whole way I could feel somebody just on my like shoulder. And then you can see at the screen and hear people shouting and it was him. And I don't think I got even half a meter on him at any point. Um, so it was just like, what are you going to do? Because I assumed that being able to go out at that pace, you'd break most people in the field. But there was literally like nothing at all damage-wise done to him. So I'm sure put him in the right race in the summer, um, he'll be able to go well quick. And it's just a shame that if he can't get back, go and race those guys, he can't like prove the sort of shape he's in. Because um, that would have been class, seeing him against like Stewie, Gregson, Ramsden, Geordie and all that. Um, but I'm sure there'll be a chance that to happen. It'll be a bit of a nightmare for selectors, right? Like, what are they going to do to that? Because it's going to upset somebody yeah. either way. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And we're recording this Saturday morning, Australia time. Um, I think it's the 17th of April. And so um, we're not going to publish it for a few days, but obviously the, the semis have been run. I mean, the first round has been run uh, for the Australian Olympic Trials, uh, Australian Championships. And so uh, the final hasn't yet been run. So we'll see how that unfolds first and, uh, but at the moment, you know, there's only two people with that time other than Ollie. So uh, if it's a slow final, then it would make the decision much, much easier, probably. For yeah, that'd be, but, be mad. Um, hey, in, a, in a runner's tribe, sorry, yeah, yeah. In a, in a runner's tribe article a few months ago, you mentioned how, how important the, the training that standard attitude was um, leading into Monaco. Yeah. Um, obviously, you're back in flag staff and doing another camp. I mean, how it, it's it's typical with so many 1500 meters around the world that actually make it to the top levels you know these long camps at altitude how vital is it and and how and how is it a typical week you're doing up there three sessions a, a week sort of thing and then a lot of miles yeah so like i think the main thing about when you come up to somewhere like here is you don't do more than you would be doing at home it's like the same if not less um and everything's kind of scaled back a little bit like you can't run anywhere near as quick as you would be at home because it's tough. So this time will be a little bit like last year where we do two sessions a week. So it'll be um, at the moment, the Tuesday, we do Tuesday, Saturday, and the Tuesday will probably be more like base stuff we were doing in winter. So we'll do some hills, maybe some like grass reps or longer stuff. And then Saturday we'll drop down um, to one of the tracks, which is a lot nearer sea level. So you can do a track session. The quality will be pretty similar to back home. Um, but the main thing for me is that if I come away from this, and I've had a month where I've had good training, not amazing training, just like it's been unbroken. I've had like decent enough sessions that I know I'll be fit enough to go back. And I think it's the same in the article I did for you guys. It's like none of my sessions are outstanding at all. It's all about like just building um, throughout the season, like a block of good sessions together. And maybe before a champs, you'll have like one session that will tell you that you're ready to go. But I know that if, if I'm not absolutely bombing or if I'm not getting injured or ill, I'll, I should be fit enough, having been up to altitude, to to get enough of a boost um, to come back and be ready to race, which is the plan. Are you doing double days most days, like, you know, morning runs or avo runs as well, or is it just once a day? Yeah, I love, mate, the word avo. That, I love when you guys say it. Um, so we'll be, 
yeah, like I'll, I'll do two things every day, at least two, but I don't double run every day. So I'll double run on uh, only only probably a Wednesday and then I'll do like a run in drills on a Monday, like Thursday will be a run in sprint stuff. So there's always two things. Um, and up here it's tougher, like your second, your second sessions because you've had um, a little bit more like strain on yourself because it's a bit harder to run. Your second stuff will be a bit tougher. So it's so important, like while we're here, to be able to like rest in between sessions so that you actually feel good for the evening because you can feel absolutely shy if you don't get yourself ready for it. Um, but yeah, it's tough. Like at, at double days, yeah, like every time if that's gym or whatever, we'll make sure we do something. Now you have a pretty sweet um, Instagram account. Uh, you do a fair bit of um, you know short videos on there, a bit of plyometric, a bit of weight stuff. How um, how many times? Yeah, how many times a week are you doing the weights and and all that stuff? Four times a week? Uh, so three times we'll do something. So it'll be, we do like hard days hard. So it'll be, we lift on session days. So Tuesdays and Saturdays, we'll go in the gym in the evening. And then like our Wednesday, we do like a prehab. So it'll be specific stuff to me that's a lot more body weight and like boring stuff. Like I enjoy getting in the gym and doing like cleans and squats and like deadlifts. Like not that I'm doing anything big. It would be pathetic to most people. Um, but I love getting in there and being able to do something that's different. And if you can do like a squat and it feels good, it's like doing a track session, rolling it and feeling good. It's like I get the same sort of buzz from being able to PB and that stuff as I would if I PB like in a rep. Um, also in the winter, it gets you out of the cold, like in the UK. So that's what I look forward to doing that because it's just a little bit, a little bit of a nice environment to training. So that's, that's probably for me the biggest change from, while I was at uni, I didn't really do much specific gym stuff. It was a bit like untailored to what I needed and not really as intense. Whereas now, since then, I've improved loads. And a lot of that is probably because my gym is a big focus. It's like as hard as um, a track session or like an effort session would be. Um, so it's not like a, just something you do to like fill your week. It should be purposeful and like there's good reason to do it. And the benefits of that are almost as good as going out and doing something running-wise. Right. So the weights are kind of like heavy. Like when you do a squat, are you doing? Are you lifting a, like a heavy, heavy weight and doing, say, three sets of eight? Uh, I like, it's funny the way we say this because, like, I could say something that might sound reasonably heavy, <laughs> but if someone else, like, who goes to the gym off and heard it, they'd be like, you are pathetic, mate. Um, but <laughs> I'd say that it starts off, we, we start off, uh, we do, like, four-week um uh, program so it will change every four weeks and it will start first week uh not many rep not many sets but high reps and lower weight and then it will drop down to more sets of lower reps and heavier weights so squats i'd probably get up to i don't know i'd end up doing like three three reps of like 120 or something maybe a little bit more if i'm feeling good um and then like cleans i'd do like up to like 75 kg um if that makes sense. Did you guys use KG? I think you're like us. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, you're normal, sure, yeah. you're normal like us. Um, we come from we come from your, your place, so. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're just like, a long time ago, we, we sent you guys over, didn't we? Yeah, mate, most of us had parents that were, uh, you know, British in some way. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Um, that's why we get on. That's that's the way it works, isn't it? Yeah, totally, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, are you a fan of The Crown? Is that something that you've been smashing through? Or do, do people in England actually hate that show? Is it, you know, it's mad. Is it a bit like, like you, you speak to someone from 
Colombia and they hate narcos. They think it's just the worst show ever, you know? I don't know what a different example would be. Like, I used to love Summer Heights High when I was younger. Would you guys like that? Or would you find that like trash? Oh, which one? Summer Heights High. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Nah, trash, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I used to that, be like that. So the crown, I reckon. So we went to the States and we, we saw some of my dad's friends um, who were like, oh, we love it. Like, And they were talking as if like everything they'd seen on the crown um, like was fact. And like a lot of people think it is, but so many people in Britain like think it's like so false or whatever. So at the moment, I, I don't know, like I, I've not really watched it too much because it's a bit dull for me. I'd rather sit down and watch like Last Chance You and stuff like that. So I get into, um, but yeah, I've seen a bit. They don't take as much. It's pretty funny though. Hey, it's got that. Um, I feel like you're that saying that now. I, I don't think it'd get, it wouldn't slide be as like acceptable as it was back then but like i watched it when i was at school still like 15 16 and we used to literally go nuts for it everyone in the yeah. uk did it's like dairy girls in um you know like the, the irish people love dairy girls because that show is like mate that makes you piss yourself nearly so yeah it's like, well like do you, would you watch the in-betweeners and find that funny oh yeah the in-betweeners is all time yeah so that's like that's comedy that doesn't go beyond many people outside the uk probably to you guys and that's about it because oh, it goes yeah. over a lot of people's heads, doesn't it? Oh, <laughs> uh, mate, getting back to it, yeah. What's your most dreaded session? If you had, you know, if there's one that's on the program, you rock up to training the time, and you just think, ah, oh, shit, this is this is this is the worst one ever for me. What would it be? Uh, like, I'd say to start with, like, you could describe that as two different things. Like the sessions that I'm not very good at and don't enjoy doing that I dread, but then the sessions that are hard sessions because you know you can you're good at them and you can push yourself hard so i'd say like the ones i would dread because i'm not good at them and i just don't enjoy would be just long like grass reps and tempo like i'm i'm an 815 guy like i like running short stuff quick i don't like slogging around like grass fields like we do um and then hill sessions for me are the ones where i'm like okay at them and i know that i can push myself hard to a place where like yeah, like there's some sessions we do where we do so many reps that we've been out on the hill for like 45 minutes and by the end of it, you're like on autopilot and you don't really remember coming back up it. It'd be stuff like that where that makes your summer, doesn't it? The, the tough winter sessions like that that get you strong. So I think if you're spewing after it, especially when you're pretty unfit at the start of the season, they're the ones that you know have been grim. Um, and if they go well, they're probably the most satisfying as well, I guess. Right, right. I read a, I read a few articles how, you know, during the COVID year, you, you really, um, you know, you use that COVID break to just up your speed sessions a little bit to try and really focus on getting the 800 PB down, which you did, you know, I think clocked 144. I mean, you yeah. did a 145 on training, I think, right? You know, from yeah. a bike or something, which is like absolutely nuts. But, um, you know, specifically when you say you're doing more speed work, do you mean you're doing more actual sprint, 60 metre, 100 metre leg speed stuff, or do you mean you're doing a bunch more speed endurance work? Yeah, both. So we introduced an extra like sprint session in the week, which would be like sprint drills and then short stuff that like 30, 60 meter stuff. So I, I see a sprint coach uh, trying to like once a week, a lady called Laura Turner, who is like a good British um, sprinter who went to, I think she went to Beijing. Um, but yeah, so that and then the sessions were way more eight specific. So it was a lot shorter reps of longer recovery. Um, which I tend to do a bit of that, but then a lot of my session would be probably what you'd say, a 15, 1500 meter session. So 
we changed that and like that's why to run as quick as I did over 15 in Monaco I wasn't expecting that I thought I'd be able to rewrite my eight PB real easy which that was the hard one not the 15 so it shows like you can get so much benefits over both distances over that stuff um, but like my top end speed got way better um, last year so I think in training the only thing I'd been I'd been able to run a 223 low probably whereas I could then go and run one in like 22 mid um, which for me was like a big improvement like I'm never going to be rapid but I'd say for me that's a, that's like a good place to be especially if I'm running 15 um, I'd come and probably run against like Bol and Deng over those sort of reps and get absolutely spanked but that's that that was something for me that I liked seeing improvements in my speed it's like I can run a better eight off of that surely and then if I can run a better eight off of that I can run a better 15 in my mind and also run better at champ so it's definitely something that we're probably going to do again this year because it helped my 15 so if I want a good year of 15 then that stuff is has been good for me. That's awesome, 200 metre speed. I mean, yeah, on the books, yeah, uh, 400 PB is 48, I think, but I'm assuming just listening to that that you could you could totally break that by quite quite a chunk. Yeah, my problem is I take about 300 metres to get going. Um, so, yeah, like, it, it would be, I think I've split 47 maybe in a relay and I don't know how much quicker than 47 I could go. Um, but, yeah, like, for me, if I can if I could run that, that's, that's probably good enough to be able to be as competitive as I want to be. You can never be too uh, too quick, though. I want to keep getting better. Yeah. Hey, we saw Stewie Mack, uh, Stuart McSween, run a, an amazing 3,000 this year. Uh, obviously clocked uh, sub 7.30. Yeah. Um, it's crazy how quick they ran that day. Uh, what are your uh, – you know, how do you feel like you could go over 3,000? If you're in a race like that that's lined up with pacemakers and it's on, a bit like the, you know, the night in Monaco you had. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen what my, my 3K PB is, but it's, I think, 8.13 from a few years ago. So yeah. I, hope I, can, I hope I can get better than that. That's not, I don't think, a true representation of what I could run. Um, I don't know, like, I, I'd hope I could go, um, like, obviously, 7.40 something. But at the moment, like, I'd, I just want to get a quicker 8 rather than a quicker 3K. For me, that's where I feel like I'd be better. Like, I'd never be a 5K runner because I don't think I've got, enough like aerobic ability at the moment for it and I think my 3k may struggle with that as well um my thing which I guess with probably a lot of guys that do 8s and 15s is I'd lose concentration the longer it goes and I think 3k would be my max for that um but like I'm happy with three and three quarter laps for four laps every now and then for the mile I don't know how tempted I am to do extra but at some point I think over the next few years I've got to rewrite that because I can't finish my career with 8.13 I need to fetch 7 at least in front of that don't I embarrassing I was but watching those guys like Stewie shows the range and Jakob like you need to be able to run a good 3k to be strong enough to get through rounds at champs and to be able to like be strong enough to go and put consistent back-to-back laps together for 15 like it's no coincidence that they've run that quick over 3k and then both of them have run that's three twenty eight and three thirty for fifteen. Like they go hand in hand strength wise, don't it? Sure, yeah. Man, I've always loved one on one sports, tennis, boxing, that sort of stuff. If you had Centro in the form he was when he won Rio and Stewie Mack in the form he is now, and you had to choose head to head versus one of these guys, uh, the winner takes home a million bucks. Second oh. place gets nothing. Who would it be? Oh, you know, like the funny thing with that is you'd, you'd race against them so differently, wouldn't you? Like Stewie, I would just try and hang on, hoping that I'm still there with 200 to go. 
Whereas Centro, you'd probably want to try and burn him out a little bit sooner because he's going to kick hard. Yeah, I tell you what, the the bet I reckon the better race would be watching those two going head to head rather than me against one of them. But I'd probably, I'd probably rather race Centro. I, I I rate Stewie like so high, and I don't even think Stewie gets the credit he deserves for how good an athlete he is because I can't remember in the last few years seeing him race bad. I think it's like the consistency of every run is like ridiculous. Um, and I haven't raced him, I think, apart from maybe like a round at a champs, but I know that he'd be so tough uh, to run against, whereas Centrist would be a little bit more inconsistent, so I'd hope that I'd get him on a bad day, but the way he ran that Olympic final, he was probably in 328, sort of like 1500 form, so like that would be deadly as well. I'd, I'd rather do neither, but yeah, I'd probably pick Centrist if I were. <laughs> Stewie just seems to have that, you know, he's not scared to take it on. You know, that 3.30, he broke Ryan Gregson's Australian 1500 record. Um, Doha, I think it was, when he clocked 3.30. And, you know, he just took that from a long way from home and, and went yeah. for it. And he's just ability. It's the confidence on him as well. It's the ability to go and, like, not fear that you're going to blow up in that sort of situation. Just commit to a race and pull it off like that is is mad. Um, so, yeah, it'll be good to see how, how he gets on this summer because... I think like last year, he kind of went under the radar a little bit. Well, he didn't because he did. He he ran class and he got a lot of attention, especially a lot in Australia, I'm sure. But I think it's a well good opportunity, yeah. isn't it, going into an Olympic year now for him? Yeah, I think. Look, I think he's on a trajectory to to be as well known as Mottram, you know, especially here in Australia. If he just gets that medal at a major champs, that's kind of what he needs. And Mottram had it. He had a bit lucky because he had those 2006 Com Games in Melbourne where. You know, you know the Melbourne, you know the track there, the stadium was just packed. You know, to the yeah, rafters yeah. and the Modrin's name. If Stewie gets a shot like that at you know at the home games, it you know it would be be huge for him. You know, yeah. If he'd have had Gold Coast uh, a year, even a year later, that that could have been yeah. mad for him, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, Australia gets in a, like some other stuff to host while he's still running. We we'll get the chance yeah. to get that sort of. Mate, to finish up, let's flip that around. Let's say Stewie and Centro, but instead of um, instead of a fifteen hundred race, uh, you actually got to glove up and get in the get in the ring. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, when it takes home, <laughs> would you still choose Centro? Oh, so Stewie, I don't know how much gym Stewie does, right? So like, I don't know what his upper body strength would be, and he's he is a bean pole, isn't he? So his strength would be. But he'd have range on him, wouldn't he? Whereas Centro would be small. I, I said it Centro would be like a pit bull, whereas like Stewie would be like this big old like greyhound that just keeps going. Um, do you know what? I, I don't know if anyone would anyone would pay to watch middle distance athletes or distance runners having a fight because it would be a pathetic show around, wouldn't it? But I reckon I would pick Stewie. Uh, oh. And if, if one day he wants to take me up on that to. Um, to prove that I've made a mistake there, then I probably have to do it to to make a point. But yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone would want to see it. Yeah, I'd pay to see it for sure. Would you, mate? I might start. I might start setting it up and set up the tickets and if we can get something from it. You guys could do that. You could do the you could do uh, the runners tribe like white collar event or something or like the underground distance boxing scene. Oh, mate, I'm keen. I'm keen. <laughs> Mate, it's been awesome chatting. Uh, good luck for the year. Um, hope thank to see you, you lot, in that final. Okay. Hope so. Yeah, thank you, mate. It's been good to chat. Cheers, mate.